Well, you may or may not know, but I'm a bit of a Superman fan. I can't wait for the new Superman movie to come out in uh, June. He's the first original superhero, the iconic good guy, fantastic power. So please, just for a moment, pretend with me that he's real. And that you and I are there the first time Superman reveals himself. You might have seen the first Superman movie, Lois Lane falling from the sky out of the helicopter. Uh, There's a crowd of people in the main street watching on as she plummets to the ground to a certain death. Imagine that we're there looking on in startled horror when suddenly this man appears and literally flies in and saves the day. This guy in a red and blue costume flies in and catches Lois Lane and we just look at each other And a thousand questions run through our minds. Why is he wearing his undies outside his pants? (laughs) Got to admit the flying's pretty cool, but how does he do that? And how can he be so fast? What else can he do? Who is this guy? It'll be so amazing, so impressive, and yet so confusing. No one's ever flown on their own before. No one's been that fast before. Who is this guy? Friends, we're meant to have the same sort of reaction when we read Psalm 110. This Easter we're looking at three psalms to think through Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus himself says that the psalms are a great place to look to understand him. So we looked at Psalm 109 on Friday. Today we're looking at Psalm 110. And this psalm speaks of a man so amazing, so impressive and yet so confusing. He does things no one's ever done before. He is things no one's ever been before. It's hard to imagine one person being all the things that Psalm 110 says about him and you're just left wondering, who is this man? Well, as the Bible unfolds, we discover that Psalm 110 is speaking of the resurrected Lord Jesus. And so Psalm 110 urges us to honour the risen Christ with the highest regard. Easter Sunday demands that the Lord Jesus is acknowledged and adored and obeyed. So let's have a look at Psalm 110 to see what a majestic and yet perplexing portrait it paints. We'll start at the introduction. Hopefully you've got it open there in front of you, Psalm 110. And right at the top it says that it's of David. That either means that the psalm was written by David or about David, and that's very significant. Because David was the great king of Israel that God made grand promises to. God promised King David that he'd have one of his descendants always on the throne. And so this psalm is written by arguably the greatest of the kings of Israel, the one with the majestic promises of God. And he says in verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord... Or in other words, God says to my master, which is a very strange thing to say. Strange for King David, because who could be David's master if it's not God? This is King David we're talking about. He doesn't answer to anyone except God. And yet he says the Lord Yahweh, he says to my Lord, my master, who is there? That could be David's master and yet not be God. Well, there's more pieces to the puzzle as we keep reading because this one who is David's Lord is also God's right-hand man. Verse 1 again. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Now, to sit at the right hand is to be second in command. And so this figure, David's Lord, he'll be second in command to God himself. He will wield that sort of authority. God himself will make this one. His enemies will be a mere footstool for his feet. And don't you just love a good footstool? Sitting in a comfy chair with something under your feet to make life easy. It's just lovely, isn't it? But to call people your footstool, that'd mean that they were underneath you, stomped on as a matter of course. If you're someone's footstool, then you've been completely dominated. And David's master will have his enemies brought under his complete domination. Verse 2. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn. You will receive the dew of your youth. It's a picture of a king who never grows weary, surrounded by his eager and willing army, having trampled all over his enemies and all by the hand of Yahweh, by God himself, extending this king's rule because he is, after all, the one who sits at God's right hand until God makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. You do not want to mess with this guy. So this figure is David's lord. King David's master, he rules from God's right hand and he's a priest. In verse 4, for the second time in the psalm, God directly addresses this man. Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now there's a bit in here, in here and it's confusing stuff as well. So we'll take it slowly. First, God swears to this man. You are a priest, which means he's someone who acts as a go-between between God and people. Because God is holy, he is pure, he cannot tolerate sin, but people are sinners. And so God set up priests to act as a go-between, to make it safe for people to be near him. People had to go to priests to have their sins taken away. And this one of Psalm 110, he'll be a priest, except that that is simply unheard of. Because up until now, this figure's been the king of Israel, ruling from God's right hand, apparently even greater than King David himself, but a king of Israel can't be a priest. Because the kings of Israel only came from the line of Judah. The priests of Israel, they only came from the tribe of Levi. They are two completely different families. It's like trying to say that you could be a lion as well as being an elephant. You can't do it. They're from two completely different families. You're either one or the other. It's the same with being a king and a priest of Israel. You might not be either, but if you're one, you can't be the other. And yet... Very impressively, God swears that this one will be both king and priest. He will rule God's people and he will bring them safely to God. To be one of God's people, you can't do without this man. But then it gets even weirder. Because not only will this king be a priest, verse 4, he'll be a priest forever. Now what does that mean? That this man won't die or that he will die 
but somehow he'll be a priest even after he dies. And if that's the case, well, how can you be a priest when you're dead? Or is it that he'll die, but then he'll live again, but, and he'll still be a priest? A king who's a priest who lives forever. And just when you thought it was safe to go outside, this psalm releases yet another curveball because this forever king priest, we're told in verse 4, will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. But who on earth is Melchizedek? Well, we find him way back in our Bibles. Don't turn there, um, but read this, please, when you go home. It's only a few verses. Way back in Genesis chapter 14. And it all revolves around Abraham, the great father of the nation of Israel. Abraham is arguably the most important figure in the entire Old Testament. And Melchizedek meets Abraham. And there's three things to know about Melchizedek. First, Melchizedek's introduced to us as a priest of God Most High. Secondly, he's also a king. He's the king of Salem. Now that's starting to explain why the great king of Psalm 110 will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek because Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. But there's a third thing about Melchizedek and that is that in the meeting between Abraham and Melchizedek, Melchizedek made Abraham look small. Abraham, who's the father of the nation of Israel, Abraham who received the great promises of God that he would bless the entire world through him. Abraham, who without God's promises to him, the rest of the Bible doesn't make any sense. Melchizedek meets Abraham. And yet Abraham acknowledges Melchizedek as greater than himself. So Melchizedek was a priest. He was also a king. And he was greater than even Abraham And this figure of Psalm 110 will be in the order of Melchizedek. This one of Psalm 110, he towers over everybody. You ever had that experience being dwarfed by someone? Maybe it was physically. Last week at church, I was standing next to someone who, I'm sure they were six foot six. And yet, you know, you've got to crane your neck to look him in the eye. I could hear his heartbeat just because my ear only came up to his chest. But maybe not just physically, maybe you've been dwarfed socially or academically. Like the time I was at university, it was the first lecture in a new subject. It was third-year uni maths, and I found it a hard slog. I thought third-year uni maths was really tough. And my lecturer began the subject with the news that whenever he teaches a course, he always learns something new about it, except in this course. Because he already knew everything there was to know about it. I just sank in my chair. I was out of my league. I was dwarfed. This one of Psalm 110, he dwarfs us. Not just us, everyone. He's the king who sits at God's right hand. King David calls him his master. He makes people safe with God himself. He's a priest forever and he's greater than even Abraham. If we were to meet this man, we would fall at his feet. There'd be no question of who's in charge, no question of who has the right to authority. We'd simply wait for whatever it is he wanted to say. And from verse 5, we see this figure is so impressive that he and God do their battles together. God's at his right hand, orchestrating victory, sharing the spoils. Verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. 
He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. God and this majestic figure, they crush nations together. They share rule and authority. They share victory and glory. This one of Psalm 110, he is King David's Lord, a priest forever, greater than Abraham, greater than King David, at the right hand of God himself, God with him side by side in victory. Who is this man? He's the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Psalm 110 is one of the most quoted passages from the Old Testament. The New Testament writers, they turned here over and over again to understand Jesus risen from the dead. In the letter of uh, Hebrews, uh, the author refers to Psalm 110 to show that Christ risen from the dead, he, that makes him our forever priest. That he did die for sin, but he's been raised to life. He has completely dealt with sin. He lives forever to be our forever priest. In 1 Corinthians, Paul alludes to Psalm 110 to show that it's Christ risen from the dead who is the one who now sits at God's right hand, ruling over everything, ruling over even death itself. The New Testament writers, they just couldn't help themselves turning back to Psalm 110 over and over again to understand Jesus risen from the dead. We haven't got time to look at them all, but please turn back with me to Acts chapter 2 and verse 29. Acts 2, as I said before, it's only a little over a month since Jesus was executed in Jerusalem. The Apostle Peter, he's still in Jerusalem. In this chapter, he's in a crowd of people. And in the crowd are some of the people who screamed for Jesus to be executed just a month and a half ago. The same people are there. And Peter addresses this crowd and speaks to them of Jesus. That yes, they crucified him, but he's risen from the dead. And that means that Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is the figure of Psalm 110. We'll pick it up halfway through his uh, talk. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see Peter's logic here. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's physically walked out of the grave. He's been exalted to the right hand of God the Father. He has risen to the place of all power and authority. His enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. Jesus is the one of Psalm 110. You crucified him. But God has risen him from the dead. 
and made him both Lord and Christ. In the 1930s, three men hopped on a bus in Detroit and they tried to pick a fight with a lone man sitting at the back. The man was neatly dressed, well-groomed, didn't look like much. So these three men, they insulted him. But the man didn't respond. They turned up the heat. Still, he wouldn't respond. It went on for some 30 minutes and eventually the stranger rang the bell for his stop and stood up. He was bigger than they'd estimated from his seated position, much bigger. He reached into his pocket as he was making his way to the door and handed them his business card, walked off the bus. As the bus drove off, the young men gathered around the cards to read the words, Joe Lewis, professional boxer. They just tried to pick a fight with a man who would be the heavyweight boxing champion of the world from 1937 to 1949. Mistaking Joe Lewis's identity, those men had made fools of themselves and were lucky not to get in serious trouble. People of Jesus' day, they mistook his identity. They didn't see him as the king and ruler of the world, so they crucified him. But please don't tell me you're in danger of making the same sort of mistake. I know you're not about to shove nails through his hands and his feet. But if we persist in palming Jesus off as someone we can ignore, or as someone who doesn't exist, or as someone who might have had a few nice things to say, but that doesn't give him the right to rule my life. If we mistake Jesus for any of these things, we'll be up for much more than trouble. Because he's the one of Psalm 110. He sits at God's right hand and his enemies have been made a mere footstool for his feet. He has risen from the dead and he now rules over everyone and everything. He is coming back to judge the living and the dead. You do not want to mistake Jesus for someone he's not. The people of his own generation got him wrong. They bayed for his blood. Peter said to them, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And faced with such terrible news, the crowd on that day did the only sensible thing. They ask if there's a way out of their mess. Have a look at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. Now that they knew who Jesus Christ was, the gravity of their situation was simply appalling. This has got to be the worst case of mistaken identity ever. They were cut to the heart. And Peter then gives them the most wonderful news. They ask, what shall we do? And Peter says, verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. If that crowd, that day, can be forgiven for their sin of brutally killing the Christ, friends, we can be forgiven of all our sin. And so the word of Peter to the crowd, it's the same word that we need to hear. Repent.
In other words, turn away from ignoring Jesus. Turn away from mocking Christ. Turn away from domesticating the Lord Jesus and acknowledge him for who he really is. Whether you're Christian here this morning or whether you're not, regardless of who you are or what you've done, regardless of what mistakes you've made today, acknowledge Jesus as Christ and Lord because this is who he is. He's risen from the dead. The only way we can be safe with God. He's sitting at God's right hand with all power and all rule. Easter Sunday demands that we fall at the feet of Jesus of Nazareth because he is Psalm 110. So acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord. Rest in his forgiveness. Serve him as your God, your King, your Saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please, please help us to come to terms with this majestic news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and you have made him both Lord and Christ, that he is seated at your right hand with all rule and all power and all authority. Father, please keep us from ignoring him or domesticating him. But Father, may we fall at his feet and serve him as our great God and Saviour as he so richly deserves. Father, we pray that we will rest in his forgiveness and delight in being his people. And we ask it in his name. Amen.